what's up guys welcome back to the keep it awesome podcast the podcast that brings you the most interesting fascinating and quirky people of central wisconsin got a really cool guest today and we're going to get to that before we do that i want to give a big shout out to my sponsors hey thanks so much to scani's alehouse and eatery and Schofield, those guys love us. And you know what? We love them too. We love their food and we love their really awesome beer selection, which is quite robust. So make sure to go check out those guys uh, down in Schofield, Scotty's Ale House and Eatery. And we're brought to you by Campbell Haynes Menswear. Guys, up your style game today. Go check those guys out. They got better prices than the big, big box stores and they're going to treat you right. All, all good things that you want. So go down to downtown Wausau on the corner of Jefferson and 3rd Street and check them out today. Campbell Haynes menswear. And not last but not least, we are brought to you by Verve Salon. Now guys, what they do, no matter what your hair type, your skin type, they got you covered for all styles. Uh, they, they've got a really great selection of products there. They got a spa connected to it. So all kinds of cool stuff down there. Go check them out on Verve Salon on Instagram and on Facebook. And go stop down in Schofield and see them today at Verve Salon. All right. Well, and make sure you hit that. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you hit that like button and uh, subscribe to the channel so you can see all our interviews, because I think that we got a lot of good ones for you to, to watch. So be sure to do that. And uh, if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, give a good give a good review for us. Uh, help, help more people find the find the podcast. But anyway, enough of that stuff. Let me bring in Misty Lee Paynolds. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah, Paynolds. Paynolds. That was pretty close, right? Yeah. Cool. So Misty is, uh, she is the owner of Black River Hemp Company, and I had interviewed her back in 2018 when I did a story about the hemp business because Wisconsin had opened it up, and uh, well, the USDA kind of paved the way for Wisconsin to open its hemp program. Now, Wisconsin used to be one of the top exporters of of hemp in the country, I believe. I have to go back and look at my, my notes from way back then. But uh, it's kind of this industry that now, now hemp, just to be clear, this is not marijuana. It's, this, it's kind of the same plant, except there's no THC or very, 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 very trace amounts of it. So Misty, I want to talk to you about this. Now, you started this. Tell me about how you started your company, how you got into, into uh, the cannabis industry and into, into hemp itself. Well, that's kind of a, that's kind of a lifelong thing, actually. Um, mm-hmm. So this goes back to I've studied natural medicine since I was a child uh, because I started having chronic pain at 12 years old. And when you're that young with chronic pain, the doctors um, would say, you know, uh, you're too young to have that kind of pain. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, and I wasn't getting answers from the medical community. And when that happens, you're you're pushed into a position where you have to be your own health advocate and you have to start looking mm-hmm. at alternatives and alternative medicine and natural therapies and the things that the doctors aren't doing. Um, and actually the first relief I had had for my pain was 17 years old when a family friend suggested a chiropractor. Hmm. And at that time, I remember being very mad at my doctors and my specialists for not referring me to a chiropractor who actually gave me some relief. And so I recognized at a very young age that Western medicine was most likely not going to be able to help me. And, and that's really been my dri- constant mm-hmm. driving force to, to study 
plant medicine and, and natural therapies. Yeah, that's something we, we talked about with uh, Dr. Linda Bluestein when she was on the podcast. She talked a little bit about mm-hmm. the, the challenges of Western medicine and the, the current system where you, you know, you get seen by a doctor for like all of five minutes and they, they don't really have, it's not a system that's set up to really spend a lot of time with the patients. Yes, and Dr. Bluestein had a practice in Wausau, Wisconsin mm-hmm. Integrated Pain Specialist, because fast forward, you know, 30 years or so, and finally I was diagnosed with a genetic disorder, which means it's something that I was born with. Um, it's just rarely mm-hmm. diagnosed, um, and I wasn't diagnosed till 43, that I had Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, and it's the mm-hmm. multi-systemic condition that comes and can come with a lot of different comorbidities. So it's, it's, it's a very complex type of issue. And Dr. Blue is specializing in these types of connective tissue disorders. Right. Yeah. She had Ehlers-Danlos syndrome herself. So she, she understood the, yes. the challenges. Mm-hmm. Yes. She's very, very good. Now I would consider her one of the very few experts in this country. Yeah, definitely. I think she's one of the, one of the top two, as I recall. Okay. So tell me, uh, yeah, tell me how hemp played into this. Like at one point, did you first try it? Uh, yes, I had tried it before uh, um, we were able to grow, actually. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a woman down in the Milwaukee area who was providing just like CBD isolate. And I think that was probably one of the first commercially available made products in the state before we were even allowed to grow hemp. Um, And uh, I had tried her product, which did give me relief at the time. I had just had my second child and in the morning, it would take me about 45 minutes, 30 to 45 minutes to feel well enough, strong enough and safe enough to walk down, down our stairs with my newborn. And after I had started on her product, Within two weeks, I noticed I didn't have to wait that long anymore to for my body to kind of get itself together again for me to have enough strength to get down the stairs. And was so this something? Was, can I ask you? Is this something that you felt like you, you took it and felt a change immediately, or was it more like as you took it, you just noticed these changes started happening? Yeah, and you know, and it's it's it's. Um, yeah, it can, with natural medicine, it can take longer for you to see results. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the general rule of thumb really with any supplement is to give it three to six months. And I would say that people with, you know, in, in, with CBD, if you have a complex chronic pain issue, I do see it taking longer for people to recognize, you know, what it might be doing for them. And also with crom- complex chronic pain, like nerve pain and things like that, honestly, in my professional opinion, those people just need a little bit more THC to, mm-hmm. to help calm that central nervous system with a little bit of a stronger effect than, you know, some of the products that are available to us right now. Wow. So how about, how about making that transition to, to actually being a grower? Like, how did you get interested in that? Like, where did that come from? What did it seem kind of daunting? Tell me all about this. Uh, Well, actually, since I was young, having studied cannabis as part of a herbal medicinal plant, um, uh, I would dream about being older and hopefully we can bring this plant back for its medicinal and therapeutic properties. So when we bought our hobby farm back in, I think we moved here in 2004 and purchased it in 2005, it's a 
it's a it's a 20 acre hobby farm but we don't farm i thought eventually if we're able to go cannabis in wisconsin that's what we'll do with this place so it was in the back of my mind when when we purchased our hobby farm and so in 2018 when we discovered that the hemp pilot program passed legislation i just dove right in oh wow and tell me tell me all about that what was that like um, well, it was it's stressful, of course, because of, you know, this is new, it's cannabis. And you're right about the fact that hemp and marijuana are both cannabis. They're both mm -hmm. cannabis. It's mm -hmm. just that there's, you know, a large spectrum of these plants to virtually no THC to very high amounts of THC. But now those cannabis, the cannabis plants have been, have a legal definition for hemp as being 0.3% right. delta 9 THC or lower on a dry weight basis. So. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, like, was it, did you find it, it sounded like you did, probably did a lot of research beforehand. So were you just pretty much shovel ready and ready to go as soon as the, the law changed? Yeah. Yes, we were. And we're, I think our biggest challenge was trying to find seed. Um, because there was issues and concerns with purchasing seed, crossing state lines and, and bringing it to Wisconsin. So there wasn't a lot of options to buy seed. And because the laws were so new and unclear, um, you know, people didn't really wanna go outside of state lines to have that seed you know, cross state mm -hmm. lines or other state lines that don't have hemp pilot programs. So even now there's still risk in the industry uh, because of, legislative pieces not being maybe completely intact or very specific. So I think it, you know, it doesn't make it clear for us as growers, producers, and it doesn't make it clear for law enforcement. Um, they, you know, they have made some amendments to the hemp pilot program, hemp 2.0. Um, but I still think that we have a ways to go. Mm -hmm. Well, I remember, at the, I remember at the time when I wrote the story, I, it was really hard. I, I talked to a number of lawmakers about the bill and everyone kind of had a different interpretation. And so I was, I, I can't remember exactly what the distinction was, but it seemed, it was a weird, it was a very weirdly written law because it was hard to understand what <laughs> it made. It, it made it sound like two different people had two or three different people would give me two or three different interpretations particularly around like who can sell it or who can get it um it made it you know some people basically interpreted it as well this is you know this is it it's legal it can be sold everywhere picked up everywhere other people were like well no it has to be described by a doctor and it was really contradictory and i remember getting into a, a fight with my boss at the time because she's like you haven't done the research to figure this out i'm like no the people who are making these laws don't understand them themselves like yeah. so there I, I can understand what you're saying about confusion because it seemed like a lot of people were really confused about exactly how the law would work and i had a friend uh, my friend steven owns family natural medicine in wisconsin rapids and it's been in his family for three generations, and he's been selling CBD for a very there for quite a while, quite a while. And I said, you know, at one point I said, hey, I, you know, I think it's actually technically illegal for you to sell it. He's like, well, oh well, I guess they can. <laughs> you know, if someone wants to come in and arrest me, I guess they can. But he's like, I mean, oh, wow. he, like he's, he's like, it's pretty unclear, and you know, I don't see why if there's no THC, why it should be illegal anyway. So, and of course, now I think now I think that's been more clarified. I think. 
plus I, you know, I remember, I, I remember at the time I spoke with law enforcement and I, I said, were well, you going to bust somebody for like actual hemp? And they're like, probably not. <laughs> like, like if it's not actual marijuana, no, nah, we're not going to worry about it. Yeah. And before I actually opened my store in Medford, I called the chief of police at the time because I didn't know him. Um, and uh, I just wanted to touch base with him to give him my background and natural medicine and um, my intentions of helping people. And I'm really, I'm really passionate about prescription drug abuse. I did my internship at our health department in town and they put me with the drug coalition and I stayed with that drug coalition, I think for another year and a half just volunteering oh, wow. because I am so passionate about prescription drug abuse. And there is a connection between cannabis and helping with drug abuse, which is really profound and amazing work done at the Institute of uh, Addiction uh, in, at Mount Sinai. And um, so, um, I, and I wanted him to, to know who I was and what he knew about the hemp pilot program. And honestly, he didn't really know anything about the hemp pilot program. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, just to open my door, like if there's ever any issues, you want to come in, see how I label my stuff, how I package my stuff, I'm more than happy to, you know, accommodate in any way that I can. But as far as I know, they've not come in. <laughs> That's good. Well, I was going to ask you too, like when you started, you know, when you started, I mean, did you, did you always envision, and I, I assume now you're, you've gone all the way, are you just, are you just producing the plant or are you producing the oil? Are you going through the whole line of production or like what, what is black hemp doing? Black yeah, hemp seed doing to sale. yeah, so that we would be considered a vertically integrated company, which gotcha. means basically seed, seed, kind of like from farm to table, but from seed to sale. Gotcha. So yes, we grow my entire 10 acres here are certified organic and we don't use the whole field to grow hemp. Um, but uh, I wanna keep it all certified organic for you know future endeavors and expanding with other herbs or maybe even specialty foods and things like that. Um, so yes, we grow and we use our hemp that we grew to make our CBD. And what we make is a solventless rosin. And um, so in the world of cannabis medicine, solventless rosin is the top of the line, top shelf that you can get. And the reason why is because we're not using harsh solvents like hexane, butane, or ethanol, which are all known carcinogens. Oh. We're not using the whole plant. In fact, we only use the trichomes off the plant. We're not using the entire plant. So we're just using the resinous part where the concentration of the medicinal cannabinoids are. And then we just use heat and pressure. And so what we started making was leaving that we left those cannabinoids in a raw form, much like you would think of like a cold pressed oil. Mm -hmm. So those cannabinoids in a raw form can have different medicinal therapeutic effects than a decarbed CBD product. So when the cannabinoids are left in a raw form, they'll have four initials. So instead of CBD, it's actually CBDA. And that A stands for, that means that the carboxylic acid is still attached to it. And I'm gonna give you an, an example of the difference of like a profound difference on how they can function differently in the body. So in a raw cannabinoid product, the THC is in the form of THCA without psychoactive effect in that form, in that raw cannabinoid form. 
That's why people smoke marijuana to get high. They're converting, they're breaking down the molecular structure through heat, breaking off that carboxylic acid. That THCA now becomes delta-9 THC and does have that psychoactive high associated with marijuana use. Gotcha. So, I mean, it's, it's, and so like, go ahead. Go ahead. I was, was going to say that like THCA and CBDA have been shown to have those anti-nausea effects that, you know, like chemotherapy patients would experience. Oh. It was once believed to be Delta-9, but now studies are showing that it's actually the raw cannabinoids in their raw form and actually being better at combating things like inflammation. Gotcha. And so this is, this still comes out as an oil, is that right? Or is it some, what, describe the product for people. Yeah, so when we use heat and pressure to extract the, medic the medicinal properties from the plant, the heat kind of melts the trichomes a little bit. We're not using high heat here though. I don't think we go over 200 degrees. So, um, and then we press them and then it comes out like a very thick, sticky resin. Rosin. Oh, gotcha. That's why it's called rosin. Gotcha. And then we have to re-dilute that to make it so that it's, you know, below the 0.3% delta 9 THC. So then we put it in MCT oil. But I believe in keeping things uh, stupid simple. Um, mm -hmm. So we don't add flavors to ours. We do not add anything in ours but the carrier oil, which is MCT oil, which is a healthy fat for us and has its own anti-inflammatory properties. Yeah, I was going to say uh, MCT is supposed to be pretty good for you too. So sounds cool. Sounds yeah. like a good combo. Yep. And, yep. and then, you know, by not using solvents, I don't have to worry about residual molecules that are left behind. Mm -hmm. And for somebody like me with EDS, and, you know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, we, we have comorbidities that come along with that, such as mast cell activation disorder. And that's a condition where your body's producing too much histamine. So you can become very sensitive to things like perfumes, chemicals, foods, different oh, yeah. things like that and have like a strong type of allergic reaction to very small exposures to things. And so like my concerns with companies that do use solvents is that even though they might have a COA that says no residual solvents detected, how do I know that, it, that test is sensitive enough to pick up how many molecules are actually left behind. Right. And people may think that that's insignificant, but for somebody who has say like a gluten allergy, one molecule could be enough to kill a person. And then mm -hmm. we want people to take these products on an ongoing daily basis. Um, and, and so that's my concern with the use of solvents. And so I, you know, I resort back to that, let's keep it pure, simple and stupid. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> Stupid simple. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and are are you selling this retail or wholesale or a combination of the two, or has that changed over time? Um, yeah, pretty much just retail within my local community, and we're just serving our local community at this time. Now, with that said, we have built a new facility for processing. Oh. And once we can streamline the processing, you know, then we might open up for wholesale at that time. Um but, you know, just keeping our local community and serving our local community and building up like that organic one-on-one, -on -one, because I do a lot of education when people come into my store. I literally spend hours every week in there educating people on what this looks like so that they have appropriate expectations of this product. And, um, but, but we'll see, you know, having mm -hmm. this new, it's, it'll be a certified food processing facility when we're done. That's where I am right now. 
Um, I call it the studio. <laughs> gotcha. And do you do you, do you only and, sell uh, in your do you only sell in your retail store? Do you sell in other places? I know there's that other can uh, hate hump store in in town there in Medford too. Nope, just just our store. What uh, what kind of reaction do you get to to hemp, and has that changed from the beginning to now? Do you feel like people have become more educated on on hemp, or you have to do less education, or how, tell me about that? No, I still feel like I'm doing an extensive amount of education because yeah. I there is so much to learn, even for myself. We're we're and we're going to continue to learn more because it you know in 2018 it just or wait, no, 2019 is when it became federally legal and hemp became illegally defined and removed from the controlled substance list, oh, yeah. which means that prior to that, they have not been able to do human studies on CBD in the United States. Mm -hmm. So we are not a leader in cannabis medicine as far as research goes. Research. Um, so actually the University City of Jerusalem leads the world in cannabis research with a full-on mm -hmm. research department. So if people are looking for good studies, I would go there. Gotcha. Uh, do you feel like people are at least more aware of hemp now than they were back when you started? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hearing more, you know, word of mouth is, is you know, what brings people in, I think, is that, oh, my friends told me that this was working for them, you know, and then that that's what really gets people in the door, in my opinion. That makes sense. But I, yeah, but I think, you know, that the education piece so that people have appropriate expectations are so important because mm -hmm. most people come in with, a, you know, a few symptoms that they're hoping that it'll help with. And I try to help them understand how their endocannabinoid system works because everybody's walking through that door with their own unique physiology coupled with their own unique health issues. And once you're giving your body the tools that it needs to heal itself, we don't get to pick and choose what that looks like or what that feels like. And maybe my raw cannabinoid product versus my decarbed one, you know, one will work better for a person than the other, depending on what their symptoms are and what their physiology is. So um, I really try to help people find products that work for them, but also to understand that just because maybe it didn't help them with their pain as much as they were hoping how it's helping their overall health in all these other ways yeah for sure now what about what about sleep i've heard really good things about uh hemp for sleep i know some people and it seems to work better for some than others and i i'll, I'll say for myself i tried a couple different ones that didn't work and then my sister got this one that was specifically designed for sleep and actually was really helpful uh she had it with her when we were on vacation. And so I tried it because I don't sleep well and usually sleep well in like hotel rooms and stuff. And I, I slept really well taking this. So I wonder if you can kind of address that part of it. Yeah. Um, well, first I want to say that CBD is, or I mean, your endocannabinoid system mm -hmm. is your primary homeostatic control for our physiology. So it connects and it regulates all the other systems of the body. And um, so, so with sleep, you know, I think it depends on what's in the product because we're seeing products now that, you know, people are putting melatonin in with their CBD product. So if you were in my store, that would be the first thing I'd ask you, what are the ingredients in that product? Do you know if it had melatonin in it? 
I don't know. Okay. And um, so I think that would be like an important distinguishing factor. But in my store, what I do when um, somebody is coming in with sleep issues, I direct them towards the CBD because it does have slightly more of that Delta 9 sedative properties than my raw product. Right, the raw product is going to be more for like pain and inflammation while the mm -hmm. CBD with those little bit more of those trace amounts of Delta 9 are going to have more of those sedative effects. Do you find, what would, uh, if you had to put a percentage to it, what, what percentage of people do you think come in for pain versus sleep versus something else? Very high. So the top three reasons people come in are pain, anxiety, mm -hmm. and sleep. Gotcha. Those are the big top three. Everything else is a tiny sliver. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I actually, since I've opened the store, one of the most profound things that I've learned that is very alarming to me as a functional health practitioner is how many children and how many people are suffering from anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's some, there's some pretty good data about just the dramatic increase of uh, anxiety and mental non-well-being and in our in our students and that was before the pandemic like we, they haven't done it's called the youth risk assessment survey or something like that and they haven't done one since the pandemic but they should should be releasing that soon in fact i gotta go check that but i imagine it's going to be far worse so i, I believe that that I, I believe what you're saying for sure mm -hmm. so i'll say that the sleep yeah i think i think it probably didn't have melatonin or if it did it didn't impact me because i've I've taken melatonin in the past and I find it actually makes my sleep worse because I think my, my, my theory is that it disrupts my natural mel melatonin production. And so I found that when I went off of it, the first couple of days were rough, but then I actually started sleeping a lot better. Okay. Yeah. And melatonin is a tricky one. You know, we make a lot of it in our gut actually, and that can be tested. Um, your melatonin levels, but there can be so many reasons why people aren't sleeping, whether it's like an, a spike in cortisol in the evening, you know, which then triggers, you know, like a blood sugar reaction. So then you wake up because of your blood sugar, um, you know, like, so even eating like a simple protein snack, like an hour before you go to bed is sometimes enough to keep people from waking up in the middle of the night. Um, so I think, you know, it's important to look at more than just, you know, with any, with any health condition, you know, you, you need to look at the big picture of, of health, whether, you know, like your gut biome, that's your foundation of health right there. And if you're, that has a impact on your hormone balance mm -hmm. and your gut brain connection to mental health. And um, so it, it's, it's really important to kind of look at everything that's going on, why that might be happening. Can CBD help if there's like a deficiency there? Can it help with calming down that central nervous system and with inflammation and maybe knocking back your pain a little bit so that you do sleep better? Yes, of mm -hmm. course. But I always think that we need to look at it from a more holistic approach too, not just yeah. one thing that's gonna help somebody. Yeah, and I was going to ask you: Is there is there anybody that can't take hemp or CBD? Are there are there conditions that preclude it, or is there anything like that that you've come across? Um, there are some people that are not helped by cannabis, but I think that's few, very few and far between. Hmm. Um, because these cannabinoids, our bodies are built and designed to work with these cannabinoids. 
And these cannabinoids used to be a natural part of our diet. You know, it was called weed because it used to be considered an invasive noxious weed that was really hard to, to get rid of um, mm. because the female plants can actually turn hermaphroditic and start growing male parts to pollinate themselves. So they don't necessarily have to have a male plant around. They're capable of that type of reproduction on their own. And um, the animals used to eat the plants and these cannabinoids are lipids, they're fat. So they would be embedded in the, in the fat and the meat that we would eat. They used to be in the fat and the dairy, in the eggs. We didn't have to worry about where we got those cannabinoids 80 years ago, prior to the, you know, the banning of this plant and its eradication from our native food chain. And um, there is actually such a thing as cannabinoid deficiency. And now with more research, this list is getting quite extensive. So cannabinoid deficiency right now can look like migraines, fibromyalgia, Alzheimer's, dementia, Parkinson's, especially autoimmune disorders, anxiety and depression, ADHD, autism, and they just added endometriosis to that list. And that's from not having enough cannabinoids in our diet anymore. That's pretty profound. Mm, so it's pretty clear that you've uh, done a lot of research in this area, you know a lot about this, and you were kind of telling me before the podcast started about uh, a new functional medicine practice that you're going to be starting. Talk a little bit about that. Oh, yes. So I've, you know, like I said earlier, I've had this constant driving motivator to mm -hmm. study natural medicine, and I do have formal education besides what I do myself on the side, because right. I'm, I'm kind of addicted to learning, which works to my benefit in this case. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but always looking for, you know, new things and new research. And um, so this latest program I took is called Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. So now I'm officially a Functional Diagnostic Nutrition Practitioner. And I feel like this program is going to help me tie in all of my education. Um, and I'll be able mm -hmm. to connect my clients with lab work to help take the guesswork out of what's going on in the gut. You know, let's let's test and then we'll look at those tests and we'll see exactly what we're dealing with and then how do we move forward. Um, so we, we look at the foundation of your gut and your gut health and your gut function. And then from there, we start building up and supporting and giving the body the tools that it needs so that it can correct these imbalances and restore function to the body and get everything back into balance as you know, as far as we can get it to restore health and vitality. Nice. So when do you, when do you see that kind of starting up? Um, well, sometime this year, I'm working on it. I've got the business name mm -hmm. registered now for Fortress Functional Health. And so the next step is getting a logo and getting some brochures out there and developing the structure of how this is gonna work. It doesn't have to be an in-person thing, but I do have a physical location where I, mm -hmm. I can meet with people face-to-face but it will also be online as well. Cool. Now I learned, I learned just before the podcast, I learned that the Wisconsin hemp program is going to be transitioning to a federal one. Can you talk a little bit of, first off, what was the, can you talk, talk about what the state program was like to work under? I know we talked about how that was a little confusing at first. Did it kind of settle out or did it always remain confusing? And then what are your thoughts on it shifting to the USDA? Yeah, I think it was, I think it was rough, you know, for the, because of the vagueness of the, the ways the laws were written and, and how the programs were written, it kind of left a lot of things kind of out there in the open, which 
you know, put us at risk as processors. And um, because of that 0.3% delta-9 limit, but whenever you extract the cannabinoids from this plant, you have a concentrate. And so while you're holding that concentrate, technically, you know, you could be at risk of being over that 0.3%. And okay. so there, there wasn't, you know, specifics in place for us processors. Um, hemp 2.0 kind of took care of that, but now we're transitioning over to the USDA. And so I'm not exactly sure how, you know, the, how hemp 2.0 legislation will come into play with the USDA if it's right. what's contradiction and, and what's not. So, so we'll see. I know that second year, or was it 2020, there was a huge influx in people wanting to grow and that cap was overwhelmed, which mm -hmm. is the Department of Ag and Trade and Consumer Protection who comes out to do the testing to make sure that your crop's not over that 0.3% Delta 9. And um, there was quite a few people that didn't get the testing done within that 30 day period that that cap gave themselves to come out and test. And um, there were probably hundreds of thousands of dollars in crops mm. that went hot and people had to destroy their entire oh, crop man. because they, they went hot and they were over. So the longer you leave your plants in the field, that THC, you know, depending on weather and some other variables mm. can change on you real quick and, and go over that limit. Well, I noticed I was, I was one of the things that uh, in the Shepherd had expressed had reported on this is that uh, apparently by, we, we had about 2,200 growers at one point at kind of a peak. And then it went back in 2021, there were only about 1,300. It was that, do you think those are some of the issues of why, or did you, do you know people who like got into it and got out of it? Yeah, I, th I think that was an issue was, you know, then um, that having that huge spike and not having enough agents to come out and test, you know, and some people got missed somehow. Um, I know some people were talking about lawsuits against DATCAP. I don't, I don't know whatever happened with that. I don't know if anything ever went through with that. I know there was, I just know from like the Facebook groups and things like that, that people were talking about it. So I'm not sure if that's why DATCAP relinquished the hemp pilot program over to the USDA. Oh. I don't know if that was part of it. I'm mm -hmm. not exactly sure why they relinquished the program. Um, and, um, also, it's not like traditional farming, you know, we, we haven't been able to grow hemp here. So it's not like you can just take traditional farm equipment and go out there and harvest it. All right. uh, you know, the hemp, the hemp, the hemp stalks are very, very strong fibers um, that can damage mm. traditional equipment. A lot of this work and what we do here, a lot of it is done by hand. And um, so it's very labor intensive. And um, there, it's not like you can harvest and then you bring it to your local elevator and you sell it for market price. Oh, right. If yeah. you don't have a place to sell it, you're going to have a hard time selling it, especially when you have that many growers. I would ask you too, did you, did you have any trouble with banking in the beginning and did that alleviate or not? Did I what? Did you have any trouble with banking around having have a hemp business? I waited until after Trump signed the hemp farming bill and made it official. 
And I had my package in my hand while he was signing it on the TV. And as soon as he signed it, I took that package and I shipped my first package. But, oh, wow. uh, <laughs> but yes, and I also waited till that spring till I went to my local bank and they had no idea about any issues with banking and cannabis with him. And I had them ask their manager. They said we should be good to go. And then I called member service one day and they red flagged my account and they shut me down. Oh, and my local bank was very, they felt very bad. So they actually called a couple other banks to see if there were other banks locally that would work with cannabis companies. And they found me one. And I happened to know somebody that worked there and they actually, the president and the vice president actually came into my store on several occasions to talk to me and assure me that their entire board was unanimously on board with working with cannabis companies. Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't have anything to worry about. And so I, I just do my business banking with them for the business. But I know a lot of other people mm -hmm. had funds frozen. I mean, there's, right. I got lucky. Yeah, I got, I got lucky with my bank, you know, not confiscating funds or anything like that. But yeah, it's there crazy was definitely after, a lot of horror stories. Yeah, it's crazy even after, you know, the federal government signed off on it, they still have trouble with the banks. It's like, it's, it's just so crazy to me to think about that. Yeah, it's a, it's a pioneering industry. So people who are not involved in the industry, they're not keeping up on these things, you know. Yeah, as I the mean, laws the are changing, they're, they're mean, not waiting in anticipation. No, it's understandable, but I mean, the you know, if something yeah. like that comes up, I mean, the internet's—they got the internet, like everyone else, they can go do a little research. Yeah. I think, uh, I I just think like, yeah, I, sometimes I just marvel at how institutions like banks can be just so far behind the the times, and you know, something if it's made legal, you think you would look into it and say, wait a minute, is this legal? Oh, look at here's the law. You know, it's it's all over the internet, so yeah that's my thoughts anyway but. but yeah there's but there's a lot of stigma with cannabis and that's yeah. you know that's what we're fighting against is we're fighting around this miseducation of this plant it's been mm -hmm. on the controlled substance list on the highest of order along with heroin as right. being a dangerous addictive hallucinative and so trying to reverse the stigma and you know, really educate people mm -hmm. on what this looks like and why it's important for human health and development, because it absolutely is, is a challenge. And so when people come in, I think sometimes they're only going to spend two minutes in my store and then they're there for two hours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> getting, getting educated, going, I had no idea, you know, for instance, it's a cannabinoid mm -hmm. receptor that's responsible for implantation of a fertilized egg in the uterus. It is a cannabinoid in the breast milk that stimulates the human suckling reflex. So from the very beginning of reproduction, these cannabinoids in the receptors are involved. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. So, uh, well, thank, you know, I want to thank you for being on today. This has been a really good conversation. If people want to get started in, in hemp, like how do you, what do you recommend? Just stop into a store, stop into your store if they're near Medford, like how would you how would you suggest they go about it? Yeah, if they're, well, if they're interested in growing, um, yeah, you'd have to go to the, like the USDA website and mm -hmm. register with the hemp program and um, get licensed. 
And um, that's kind of the starting point is, is getting registered with the USDA now. And there is a criminal background check. So if you have mm -hmm. a felony conviction, say, of a controlled substance within the last 10 years, that disqualifies you, unfortunately. Um, but that doesn't mean that if there's another member in your household that you couldn't register under somebody else in the household. So that I know that was that way with DATCAP that they made that known. Okay. Um, what, what about yeah. from a, so, but with the USDA, I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah. And what about from a user's perspective for someone who wants to, to try it out medicinally? Yeah. I, I encourage people to come to my store all the time. I encourage people to come back to my store, let me know how they're doing. Um, and if they just want to visit and learn more, this, I have chairs around my store and I love teaching people about this plant and other herbal therapies and other natural therapies. So I, people come in and sometimes they don't even, um, they don't walk out with CBD. Sometimes they walk out with a list of supplements and things that they can do to see if, you know, that will work while they do more research on the CBD themselves. So cool. Anything else that you'd want to leave, uh, leave viewers with? I guess I'm not sure. We covered a lot today. And um, I just really encourage people to do their own research and, you know, look at the University of Jerusalem and the research on cannabis and understand the importance of these cannabinoids in overall health, not just for this symptom or for that symptom, but, you know, how the endocannabinoid system works. For instance, there's more cannabinoid receptors in your brain than there are neurotransmitter receptors combined. And how can, how can people find Black River Hemp on Facebook? Uh, I got the other platforms. Yep, yep we're on Facebook. And um, my, I use my cell phone for business and my number's on all of the bottles and products. Um, and, but yeah, our store is 206 South Main Street in Medford. And yeah, I'd love people to come in. So, and nice, talk and nice. learn. Well, thanks for being on. As, as always, I always say to my guests, keep it awesome. So keep it awesome, Misty. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brian. It was fun to see you again and chat with you. Awesome. Yeah, you guys, uh, you guys keep it awesome out there too. And we will see you next time.